Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Realtor Nation podcast, episode four. My name is Ian Hoover, and I am the host of this podcast, and I'm very excited to bring to you, the Realtor Nation, a show to help you improve your business. My goal is to bring you some of the most successful agents in the business and ask them the questions that every realtor wants to know. 87% of agents fail. It's time to change that. The agents I'm interviewing have not only succeeded, but they are truly some of the most successful and talented agents in our business. Today I am with rookie agent success, Tony Angotti. Before we get started, I'd like to talk about our guest. He's newer to the business. He's only been in about 12 months. He's done 18 deals in his first year and is a multi-million dollar producer already in an area where the average sale price is only $166,000. So without further ado, I want to bring Tony and Gotti. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Ian. Good to be here. Thanks for coming in. I'd like to start by why you're in the real estate business. So I initially got into the real estate business as an investor. I started out buying rental properties first, was a little bit upset with the service that the realtor community is providing to investors, so I decided to get my license myself. And then through networking and talking to a number of other investors, that's where I started to build my business. People reached out and said, hey, Tony, can you help me buy a house, help people buy houses, and then kept going from there. Okay, so what was your overall thought process for getting in? Was it going to be a career for you or just something to make money on the deals that you were buying? Initially, it was just for the ease of getting into properties, representing myself, having more control over the transaction. Um being able to bid the way that investors bid on properties, not being talked into just higher priced properties that don't make money. Um, So that was why I got in initially. And then as I started to work with people, it was exciting, fun to help people find an investment for themselves and their families and their future. So that's what's made me go towards making it more of a career rather than just something for myself. What's your favorite thing about the real estate business? favorite thing about the real estate business is probably just that every transaction is a little bit different. It always seems like um, it doesn't get boring. It doesn't seem super transactional because there's always something new that comes up, something that changes, something that you can help somebody else with that might not be familiar with the area or investing or something like that. What's your least favorite thing? Mm, least favorite thing is probably dealing with people that aren't incredibly responsive or people who are supposed to have some level of expertise that just don't at all. That's probably my most frustrating part of it. So getting your real estate license, you take a a class that's roughly 60 hours and then you take a test. Talk to me about what it took to learn the ropes in the real estate industry and when did you start to actually feel some confidence that you knew what you were doing? So I think that being an investor and learning that side kind of helped me a little bit off the bat but the licensure class itself doesn't really teach you all that much about actually how to become an agent um some other background that i had helped a little bit with just coming from sales so having kind of the whole prospecting marketing sort of aspect of things i had some experience with that but as far as learning the actual process of purchasing a property you lean on other people that are in the industry. So when I started, I was with Keller Williams, and I started going to kind of like the after-hours classes, uh, things of that nature, and then just bringing questions, asking, not being afraid to ask any kind of question you have, whether it's seemingly stupid at the time, 
And then after I went through the classes, started to find a mentor, which was Alex Deacon out of our office, and then you as well to help with things. So that's kind of where, you know, you start to get more comfortable the more situations you go through. I think the other thing that helped was just never saying no to a potential client. So just because you're scared to take on something, still tell them like, hey, I have experienced people that I can lean on if I don't know something, but, you know, we'll work through this, we'll find out everything that we need to find out, but just involving yourself in as many transactions as you possibly can, I think is what helped build a comfort level. I'd say it was probably like transaction four or five where you started to kind of realize that crazy things come up and <laughs> in most trans in a lot of transactions that you do, so then as you learn to deal with those things that come up, it just builds a confidence level that you can find out how to solve those problems. Wait, you mean every transaction is not the same? Nope, not at all. <laughs> Especially with the investor properties. So you've had a great first year, unlike your boy Carson Wentz. You're new to the business. Yeah. I'm sure you had a couple hurdles. What was your biggest hurdle that you had? Um... I think the biggest hurdle that I had was probably, you know, you get a couple, I think getting, having some success out the, off the bat, it makes you think that it's easy, like right away, because I had my first few transactions go pretty smoothly, and then whenever you have one where it doesn't really work out, there's, you know, you get through your inspection and everything, and the person doesn't really want to move forward, and you've done all this work, I think that was the hardest thing to realize is that in this industry, you're not really not really guaranteed anything it's like until you get to closing and you get paid you can put in 100 hours or zero hours and it might be difficult at first to get over that you did all that for nothing but then what you realize is that as long as you work with your client to help them kind of navigate those issues then they become somebody who trusts you and as long as you're okay with whatever they want to do then they continue to do business with you. And I think the thing that taught me that lesson was the first client that I had deal with a property that they backed out of was also one who became a business partner down the road just because through that experience they trusted me enough to then look for properties together. Okay, so seeing the process and not having guaranteed money until the deal is done is the, the most difficult process for you then? Uh, or was the biggest hurdle? It was the biggest hurdle at the beginning, was just kind of getting over that and then having to take a lesson away to realize that it's not a failure just every time that something doesn't go right is a learning experience. Now, it's mind-blowing to me that you are still not full-time in our business. How do you manage your busy schedule? Um, I think in some ways having additional work obligations has kind of required me to somewhat automate and somewhat create tools just to organize myself and my clients' times. Um, my job's flexible enough that I can take a phone call or respond to an email or a text message. Um, so that certainly helps, but I've just implemented tools like I use a project management software to manage closing. So I have all the deadlines and all the contacts that the client needs in there that they can access at any time. So they can ask questions that way. Um, kind of done a lot of my I guess the other thing that happened was just for being active in forums and groups and their investor community, that helped as well. But probably the biggest thing was just picking a niche, learning that niche, focusing on that rather than spending time doing all kinds of different 
things like I think sometimes people try to do everything right off the bat and then they don't focus on one like subset of the industry and then they just get way too overextended and can't figure it out <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but it's definitely been stressful at times it's just create as many systems as you can to sort of manage your time so in our business, and one of the reasons why I have this podcast is because 87% of real estate agents fail. Why do you think that is? I think one that I just mentioned would be lack of focus. I think too many people have shiny object syndrome. Like they just want, you know, they don't really focus on sort of perfecting one aspect of things and then growing from there. I mean, I pretty much took what I knew a little bit about, which was investing, and focused only on that aspect of the industry. And then as I transition over to full-time, I'll obviously try to branch into other sectors. But that focus really helped me just kind of learn what that type of customer needs so that I can focus on perfecting my business to that customer. So one would be lack of focus. Another would just be lack of organization and time management. Um, so I even see some experienced agents have problems with that like for instance there are different modes of communication if it's a simple thing you can just send a quick email or a text message rather than having a 40 minute long phone conversation with somebody <laughs> I I'm guilty of having really long-winded conversations as we see from this answer <laughs> but, um, but I think that's another thing is just managing time and then also being persistent and just keep doing the things that gain your customers so I guess the thing for me has been a lot of online, like answering questions, forums, and stuff of that nature. So I continue to just dedicate time to lead generate and just continue talking to prospects. Because if you stop talking to prospects in any sales industry, then you stop making money. What about work ethic? Do you think work ethic has anything to do with why we fail in this industry? Probably a big part of it, especially because there's no boss telling you to do anything. So it's kind of have to be self-motivated enough to continue to do all the tasks that you need to, especially if you're starting out part-time, you go to work all day, and then you come home, and then you got to, that's when you got to work again. So it's pretty much just like two full-time jobs, you know, so if you don't have a strong work ethic, it's not going to work for you. Have you worked with another agent who you felt maybe wasn't working as hard as they needed to, to get the job done? Yeah, there's been times whenever you've had to track down information that you would think that the other side agent would have done or stuff like that. I mean, it's definitely comes up. Okay. If you were to start over again, so it was December of last year you started really selling, what changes would you make to improve on what's already been a successful first year? Um, I think I focused a lot on buyers because in my mind that made the most sense for my schedule. But I think I probably would have started marketing uh, just as heavily for listings as I would have for buyers. Um, Why do you say that? I say that because I think listings are a little bit more, once you get down the marketing and things like that, I, you obviously, you don't have to physically go somewhere as frequently. And then that saves time. So really, I think the lot, a lot of the benefit to the industry is that a lot of the work you can do from your computer and things of that nature so you don't have to always drive into an office. But if you spend all your time driving around, then you've defeated the purpose. <laughs> so, um, obviously you have to go out and show homes, but 
by marketing for that, I probably would have had a little bit more of a lead funnel that requires, um, you know, more marketing skills rather than just constantly the grind of driving around and driving around and driving around. How many hours per week does it take to sell 18 properties in your first year? I guess you can include your other, uh, your other employment too, which you're going to hopefully not be there too much longer. <laughs> uh, None of your coworkers listen to this podcast, I hope. Uh, I won't post it yet. <laughs> Whenever I finally leave, I'll post it. Um, uh, if I include the other work, I don't know, 70 to 80, it feels like most of the time. I mean, it's hard to even quantify with all the conversations and stuff that you have with people. I mean, I'm on my lunch break, I'm before work, I'm after work, I'm talking to people, somebody says, hey, Tony, finds me online, and they say, hey, do you want to, you know, can you talk to me about investing in Pittsburgh, and I won't turn down anybody, I'll find a time, and then, you know, just all the constant reviewing properties to send out to people, because people don't like to just see the alerts come in, because they don't feel like you're doing any work for them, so you got to kind of try to find stuff that matches what they want to do, so probably 70 to 80 hours maybe more depends on the week and someday when you are full-time what kind of hours do you expect to put in um some weeks i'd expect similar but on an average week i mean i think that my fiance would say that having email on your cell phone is like the worst possible thing for us so because <laughs> it's impossible for me to just not to see it it's really hard for me to not reply to somebody or like not, I always star them so that I know to reply later, but probably at least 50. I couldn't see how I would get away with less. I mean, the goal is to hit pretty significant sales volume, so I don't think I'd be able to do that if I wasn't putting in at least more than 50 hours a week. So the saying I hear all the time in our industry is you have to spend money to make money. What's the best free way that you've made money in this business? Uh, the best free way would be the only way because I'm not actually spending money because I have leads to the point that with my other job, if I was spending money generating leads right now, there's no way I'd be able to handle all the like traffic that would eventually come in. I'd just be kind of overwhelmed. The best free way is just, I think, to... For me, it's been like internet forums and Facebook groups and things of that nature. We're just replying. I think all the people that aren't necessarily replying back, but all the people reading, they see your name, they see that you're providing value to the area and the community, whichever online community you're responding to, and then they reach out to you. I mean, I probably get five or six people a week that send me an email from my little just signature line on my blog posts or my forum posts that say, hey, I'm thinking about investing in Pittsburgh. Can you help me out? Hmm. Well, you kind of eliminated my next question, which is <laughs> what kind of money do you spend on marketing and what's your best return on investment? I think the money that I spent on marketing was a couple Facebook boost posts for open houses. <laughs> and I think the way that I ended up getting people, because I, you know, did two listings this year, the way that we ended up getting people was actually Facebook groups for the communities. So I had good luck with going on whatever area it is. So if it's in a certain neighborhood, there's usually a Facebook group that's dedicated to that neighborhood. So then I join the group and I post the 
event. Yeah, I've had just about every thing. group. Every uh, area has a group for the most part, unless it's a really small area. Yeah, and then you just have to be, you know, aware of the person who runs the group and just say, hey, is it okay if I post real estate stuff in this group? Because some people will get real annoyed with you if you post listings in their group that's not supposed to have salesy stuff. But. <laughs> okay, so you're the first person on our show that truly focuses on investments. I guess that would be your, your niche. Why do you focus on investments, which I guess we already talked about a little bit, but maybe you can elaborate some more on that. Like what is the benefit to working with an investor compared to working with a standard buyer? And maybe talk to us a little bit about your own personal portfolio and how that helps your business. So I guess the benefit to working with investors for me has been that you don't once you find a good investor or somebody that you have a good relationship with, they start to buy multiple properties with you. So you have to spend a lot less time looking for new and new people. Because I think the statistic is that the average retail buyer does a home transaction what, once every seven years. Yeah, or once so. every seven years. So, like, I have one buyer this year that did five, a couple people have done two. So. You know, and then the other aspect of that is once you've done one with somebody, they learn how the process works with you. They start to figure it out. So where it might take 40 hours to get that first deal with them, it takes far less hours to do the next ones. The other thing that's been good about working with investors is it's not so much about what kind of paint color the property has, like the fireplace being on the second floor, like all these kind of crazy different things. They just care about... How much am I going to make on this? How much am I going to spend on it? What am I going to get out of it? So it makes it a little bit easier to comb properties. I actually made made an Excel spreadsheet just to analyze. I can export all the MLS single-family home data into the spreadsheet, and then it automatically calculates what my maximum offer is based on how much money they'll make. Of course you Getting did. into the weeds. <laughs> and then it'll tell me, like, I have a certain ratio that I use for whatever that maximum offer is versus the list price to see if it's even worth pursuing and then I send my investors that are kind of repeat people I send them like the top hundred on that list and that's just a way to provide them some customer service where that's something that they get as a result of working with me so it's kind of like it makes them feel you know like I'm taking care of them it's like a customer service sort of thing I suppose but really the thing out of all that that I like the most is just that it's more about the numbers rather than just all the pretty things in the property. I think that because that's where I come from, like investing my scientist by training, so the kind of analytical side makes sense to me. Um, I sometimes get impatient whenever it's, I've gone to a hundred homes with a retail buyer and they still haven't found the perfect one for them. If I go to see a hundred homes for an investor, I'll probably have found at least a couple that make sense just from filtering on the MLS up front. Wait a minute. HGTV, I've watched it a hundred times. You show them three houses and they pick one. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? <laughs> Not entirely. I mean, uh, I think, oh, my, man, I have I think it all I went... A couple of weekends ago we found one, but I did my record amount in a weekend and it was like we saw 22 single family homes in a day. And that was grueling and I probably wouldn't recommend it again because then they all just blur together. Um, it was an experience but we found a couple out of that 
uh, I ended up getting one after negotiation, so it worked, but I definitely didn't show them three to get one. You know what my record is actually some good friends of mine who uh, wanted to buy a house and I took them out the first day and they saw four houses and bought one even though I told them not to. I said you, you should really at least go out one more time and see a couple more homes and yeah. and they, they decided to uh, to buy it so and they, they're still there today and they love the house. I guess it, I guess it worked out for nice. everybody. Yeah. So would you recommend dealing with investors for every agent? Um. Probably not, unless you have some kind of investor background. I would say that as a new agent, no. But as you get experienced, I think having investors in your group of clients is a good thing for a lot of people because it can start to help. I mean, I think I'm busier this time of year, which is the winter, than I am during spring and summer because you find better deals during the winter as an investor because there's less buyers competing with you at least that's what I've seen so far in my time um, so I have more people calling me right now people are getting ready for their New Year's goals so they're saying like oh I want to buy an investment property this year so then you get all these calls I think today I talked to one person before work two people at lunch one person on the way here so all trying to buy property in Pittsburgh and if you don't want to get dirty it's probably not the right choice for you right? no no, not at all. I mean, I think that, to be honest, the retail transactions that I've done may have been a little bit easier in some ways because you go in and you get the home inspection and it's like a couple little items. It's like you don't have GFCI outlets in the kitchen. <laughs> but then on the investor properties, a lot of them, because they're looking for a, like a, some value add with the property, it's like, oh, you have to put a beam here. Like there's rotted wood, you know. The roof leaks a little bit on almost every one, I think, that you see. It's like the <laughs> roof needs to be repaired. So it's definitely not as straightforward sometimes. But So you're saying landlords don't take care of their properties as well? Some landlords do. But if they do, they sell it for a price that the person pays for. <laughs> okay. So... So talk, talk to me a little bit then about your, your own personal portfolio and how that helps you in your business as well. Um, so in our personal portfolio, I have two duplexes in my own name with my fiance and then one in LLC. So it kind of helped me because I had personal experience with a few different things. One property was off market. We bought through a wholesaler. So that started to help me learn kind of that whole aspect of the investor industry, learned how it worked, did that, um, working in commercial financing on it, so I've had to navigate some of the commercial financing route myself, um, single family home, and then the first duplex that we bought was a foreclosure, well, REO property, and we went with just a traditional conventional route, but it needed all kinds of repairs, so I learned a lot, hiring contractors, that sort of thing on that first property. The second one that we bought was a little bit more boring. It was just a standard, regular, run the numbers, few thousand dollars in repairs, and it was just pretty straightforward. But it's helped because I have personal experience working with properties that I'm trying to have other people, my clients, get into. So instead of just talking abstractly about something, you can tie back to your own personal experience, which is helpful. So you and your fiance live in a duplex and rent the other side out, is that correct? That is correct. How did you talk her into doing that? 
Uh, Teach me, a wise one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was actually kind of a funny conversation, so I told her, you know, we were looking at just setting up our future, and our plan is pretty much by the time we're 40, we don't want to, we want to be working by choice, not because of we need to. So I was looking through ways to do that, and doing the traditional 401k plan didn't really get you there fast enough. So I just, that's how I found real estate in the first place. So I told her, you know, we only have money to either get married or buy a house right now before we got started. And I said, so we can get married, spend $25,000, how much money it costs to get married. And, um, and I said, or we can buy a duplex, we can live on one side, the other person will pay rent, they'll pay our mortgage, they'll pay our taxes, they'll pay some of our other stuff and we'll live for free. So she said, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I said, we'll just, we'll, we'll just think about it for a little bit. And she thought about it, and then eventually she said, okay, we can do that. But, I mean, she's great. She's supportive. So I think it's not even me talking her into it. I think her family's a little bit entrepreneurial, too. So even though I kind of put the idea in there, just coming from her background with her family being entrepreneurial, it kind of made sense to her that now your bills are nothing, which sets you up pretty well for whatever you want to do. So not only did you talk her into living in a duplex, but you also talked her out of getting married. Temporarily. Temporarily. <laughs> it was under the assumption that it would happen eventually, which it will next October. But um, Next October. I don't have my invite yet. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll see. The, um, and then I talked her into doing it again, so our next property will be another duplex, and we're just looking to keep going with it until one day we buy a house, a real house, I guess, probably a tiny house though, so. A tiny house. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what does a day in the life of Tony look like from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed? Hmm. Busy. <laughs> I wake up, I probably get up at, you know, a lot of times I'll get up around six o'clock. I pick up my phone right away, try to respond to the emails that came in overnight, um, usually download a podcast before I leave, listen to a podcast in on the way to the day job office, go into the office, probably spend more time than I should looking at my personal email on my phone and replying <laughs> and following up on things, but, um, again, we're hoping they're not listening to this podcast. Yes, yes, but, you know, I, I still make sure that I'm fair to them, too, which I think makes it, I mean, everybody there knows that I do this, it's not like some kind of secret, um, but I make sure that I, when they give me something to do, I always hit my deadlines, so I'm not, like, falling behind and at risk of getting fired, so I'm fair to them as well. Um, my lunch hours usually go for a walk and talk to people that reached out either from forums or whatever, so I'm prospecting during lunch. On my way home, I usually have phone calls, and to get a tax write-off, I usually drive from the office to a house to see, and then back home, so that it's uh, my mileage deductible <laughs> from the office, though. Um, and then on the weekend, it's pretty full of just, usually I have some an out-of-state investor that comes in, or somebody local, and I go see some houses with them. Uh, but, so we're hoping the IRS is not listening to this phone call as well. Well, no, that's, uh, the accountant said that that's a fine, that that makes sense. 
Because <laughs> you're paying for your mileage to the property and then from the property to your home. What are your thoughts on technology and how it's affecting our business? I think the biggest way, like whenever I see, um, whenever I deal with a lot of more experienced agents, I think that they always want to just pick up the phone and have a 30 minute long phone conversation with you about every little thing that comes up. But I think that the easiest thing that technology is making happen is just kind of instant, easy communication. So I deal a lot with out-of-state investors, which I don't think would have been nearly as easy it is today as it was before the internet, because I'm able to kind of FaceTime with them, easily share pictures. So I go to properties for them and take like 100 pictures of the property, send those to them for them to analyze. Data is so readily available now, so you can go and find um, data on pretty much any like any area, and then you can confirm that with your own sort of knowledge, whether it's accurate or not, because there are still a lot of pocket neighborhoods and things like that in Pittsburgh. Um, but really just easy communication, and then also information being available. So there's like that um, RPR that I just joined the realtor thing. So I stayed a real estate agent without being a realtor for a decent amount of time, and then joined the um, National Association of Realtors, and I realized that it's way more valuable than just little R. <laughs> little R. Uh, they give you tools. Yeah, that's true. And RPR has been a great one for that. Just There's so much data available on that that it's astounding. Okay. How important is goal setting? Very important. So I um, read a book about two years ago called The Miracle Morning. And I wouldn't say that I actively do everything that they told you to do in the book after I read it. But just waking up in the morning, I usually set three goals that I want to accomplish for the day. Um, every month, I revisit a goal sheet that I have. So I have a sheet with just all my long-term goals. And I revisit that at the end of every month. And then... Um, but that's kind of what keeps you on track. It's really easy to get burned out and lose sight of what your ultimate goal is but once you have those on writing and you can refer to them and they're in the and you revisit them often it just sticks back in your mind and makes it kind of the mindset of like there's no way that i'm going to fail at accomplishing this as long as i just keep going but if you don't have that established and you don't see that it makes it more difficult to build a plan to reach some a goal so I'm going to put you on the spot. You had a great first year. What's your second year goal? Second year goal is to double the number of transactions. Um, I think the most important thing is that I've calculated the amount of money that I need to get to the number of properties that I need for my own rental holdings. So I need to hit about $800,000 in commission in the next five to seven years. So you can back calculate from that. But the next year would probably be anywhere between eighty dollars and $120,000 in commission in my pocket, and then doubling the number of transactions. What about the five-year plan? What's your five-year plan? Five-year plan? Yeah. Five-year plans, what I just said, probably, you know, I need to make enough money to buy my 40 doors. That's the plan. So however much that is, that's the goal that I need to hit. My own personal portfolio hitting 
40 doors, which would be number of units of rental properties. And to do that, I probably need somewhere between, I don't know, it depends on how the financing works on them, but I have like $800,000 that I probably need. It, I guess it depends on how you do it, right? You could just go out and buy a 35 unit building and you'd be there, right? That's true too. That's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find the 35 unit building. Yeah, I mean, you know, my original goal was to have uh, 25 units by the time I was 40, and uh, I did that before I was 30. So yeah. I kind of had to reevaluate there and, you know, what, what do I do now? And, and uh, I think you're going to notice that, too. I think you'll hit that probably quicker yeah. than, than you want, and then uh, that's going to be a good thing. Yeah. And, and then from there, you can build that, on that. But the thing is, is once I hit that, you know, that basic income from the rental units, then you can start to be a little bit more picky in the clients that you work with. Because it's like then instead of just anybody that comes in, you're like, oh yeah, I'll help you. And you're just jumpy, like, I'll help you, I'll help you, I'll help you. You can start to be a little bit more selective. Um, sometime in the next two years, I'd like to bring in another person to help with things. Whether that's bringing enough money to bring my fiance on as like part of a team or something like that. Um, I think that the most efficient way to do this would be to have somebody bringing in leads and then somebody closing the leads. At least that makes sense in my brain. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so earlier you talked about your, your mentor uh, in the business, which was Alex Deacon. Now, this yeah. doesn't have to be the mentor in the business, but everybody has a mentor, whether in business or in life. So who is your mentor and how did they help you? Um... So in real estate, it's been Alex and just having somebody that, you know, looking at deals with him and just seeing how he looks at a property, it's not always the same way that I see it, but if I look back on most of the times so we've talked about something, he's usually right. So go, unfortunately, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even make his head any bigger, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then just having him available to ask questions to and get his insight, you know, you learn from those sorts of things. But then there's been plenty of mentors that I've had in the industry, like um, Cindy Rack with Kelly Williams was the person who brought me over there. You know, I learned a ton at the beginning from her, um, you know, just asking her questions too. It's really just somebody to bounce ideas off of. Um, but I think that the thing that's important is also sort of offering them something back to, um, in the case of being on a team like it was with Alex, obviously there's some kind of sharing of income, so you're offering that back, right? And then with um, Cindy, the way that I kind of approached her was, I said, hey, you know, I don't know that much about the industry, but let me help post things on your Facebook or do something like that. So then just offering something back that lets them know that you value them and value their time as well. Um, mentor in life has just been my parents mostly. I mean, they're both, uh, my dad, I guess is kind of where I got sort of the investment mindset. Not really because he necessarily does it, but just because he knew that he should have earlier. So growing <laughs> up, all I heard all the time was like about investing your money, budgeting, saving. I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Dave Ramsey says, but he's a big Dave Ramsey fan. So I was basically in, indoctrined with pay down your debt, pay down your debt, don't carry that much debt. Unless it's real estate debt, which I kind of modified with, because real estate debt makes you money, but you don't want the credit card debt, you don't want the other things, so just life planning, I think both my parents have been kind of my mentors to value, you know, experiences in life and not just things, so that kind of sets you up for doing whatever you want to do, like, 
because we don't have that much debt, we don't have that much holding us back, my fiance and I, I can have the flexibility to quit my job and start doing real estate, which is what I like the most. So. Well, it's great that you said your parents. I mean, I really think that how you're raised has a huge effect on the, the person that you are. Right. Um, I'm trying to instill things into my kids, too. Like, my daughter says she wants to be a, a bed maker when she grows up. <laughs> so I said, hey, you can do that as long as you own the hotel that you're making the beds. In, it's you true. Know, so. It's true. The employees respect somebody who really gets their hands dirty. So <laughs> if right. you're out there making beds in your own hotel, that's, that's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you balance work and life? Uh... Not well. <laughs> um, I think the, the thing that I've gotten better at, because initially it was like always having my phone. The thing that I'm trying to get better at is I actually bought another phone just for the real estate stuff. Is like separating that. So as I separate those contacts, what I've done is I take my phone and at a certain reasonable hour of the night, I set it down in a different room. And I tell everybody, or I'm going to start telling people, if it's an emergency that we need to talk about, call me on my personal cell phone. But if it's just to talk about some random thing that you were thinking about, just shoot me an email. I'll respond to your email. It'll be really easy. Or we'll set up a call for the next day. But just kind of setting up a little bit of those boundaries. Um, you know, I coach ice hockey too, so... Obviously, when you're on the bench or on the ice, you can't you can't be staring at your phone. There's kids there that <laughs> you're trying to help. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what it is a little bit, just setting up some separation. Yeah, I've definitely tried to do some of that myself. It's tough, though. I mean, it is. It's something that you have to... Uh, you really have to practice and you have to do things the, the right way. And uh, For the sake of my marriage, I try and <laughs> yeah. you know, put the phone away from time to time. And I think, uh, I think it's because you want to serve your customers as good as you can or as well as you can. Um, that that's kind of what that and your goals drive you. So you're like, if I'm not responding to them, then they're just going to find somebody else. If I'm not responding, then they're just going to find somebody else. But you still have to take time for yourself. I mean, even though it's been difficult. What does retirement look like for you? Um, retirement for me is kind of the obsession goal right now. So retirement for me looks like a number of properties. I have my you know stock portfolio as well that I contribute to. Um, what retirement looks like to me though is kind of having that and working as much or as little as I really want to. So I'll probably, I mean you you're, they're ultimately your clients, but you meet some people, I think, that you work with that just become more like friends than even clients that you talk openly with. So it's fun to work with those people. So retirement probably looks like having all the investment holdings and then working with the people that are easy to do business with. Because um, I don't think I could really just 100% stop. I think I'd go crazy. But, <laughs> but it'd be nice to not be as busy as I am right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's one thing to, uh, you know, to still be working, but you want to enjoy working, right? So uh, I'm the same way. I have a lot of good friends that I've made, uh, you know, by selling, starting by selling real estate, and then they became friends after yeah. that. Some of them became partners, and it's pretty cool how that works out. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to enter into the final round where I ask the same five questions to everybody. So you should know what's coming to this, even though you didn't know what was coming to the rest of it. What is your favorite technology tool? My favorite technology tool is probably, uh, actually my first client introduced me to it. It's called Asana. Um, it's just a project management software. So you sign up and the way that I use it is I add all the tasks in the closing with all my recommendations for inspectors, everybody into it. So then it really reduces the amount of questions that you get from customers that are like, when is this due? When is this due? When is this due? Or where do I send this? Or who do I call for this? All you do is set up the sauna task and it's all right there. So it helps them because they don't have to call you or text you. They just look and it helps you because now you're not inefficiently dealing with those things. So that's been a great tool for me. How much does that cost? Uh, I think if you have less than so many people on it, it's free. Um, it's just, you have to make sure that there's nothing personal stored on there. Because if you set up like your projects, they're public to the group. So you just, I always tell my people like, you know, this is just tracking. It's not don't post your bank statements or your whatever. <laughs> Keep that to your secure portal. But for the first however many, it's free. And then after that, I don't really know how much it costs because I haven't had to exceed that. Because you don't spend money. I spent a little bit of money. I spent money on a phone. That was good. Spent money on DocuSign because it made signing way less stressful. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you spent, a, you spent a little bit of money. And by the way, the, the National Association of Realtors gives us a discount off of DocuSigns. That's true. That helped. Spend money on the Bigger Pockets Pro membership. Spend there money there. There you go. <laughs> what is your favorite real estate book? Uh, my favorite real estate book? Um, I think there's two. One is the book on negotiating real, real estate. I think it's by like Jay Scott and Mark Ferguson and Carol Scott. I think that it just really helps me, you know, look at, they talk a lot about how to find somebody's minimum acceptable offer through information that's available online and questions that you can ask them to try to get to that. Um, so whenever you're working with a buyer, it really helps you try to find out what you can actually offer. When you're working with a seller, it helps you to learn what the other person is trying to figure out so that you can kind of work opposite of that a little bit. Um, and then another one would be, uh, it's called Never Split the Difference, which is also a negotiating book that I thought just had a lot of, comes from a little bit of a different angle, but there were some techniques in there that were pretty interesting. Hmm. Well, I, actually, uh, I don't think I've read either of those books, so I'm going to have to put them to my uh, audible list. Yeah. If you were not an agent, what would you be? Uh, I guess we kind of already know that. Uh... I don't know. Uh, I guess right now, right now, it's quality assurance for a pharmaceutical company. Um, I probably, you know, probably would just continue down science. I suppose, and, you know, if I never got into sales, I probably would have just went the PhD route in science. Um, but if I would be a salesperson, it'd probably be something in science, a scientist of sorts. What is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby, I say, I mean, I really do like backpacking, so I like being outside. Um, and then I also am really into ice hockey, so I coach ice hockey. I play on 
two and a half teams. When I'm not coaching, I play on three. When I am coaching, I play on two. So I played my whole life, so that's kind of the two hobbies that I pursue. What is your dream vacation? <sighs> my dream vacation is probably going to a country where I don't know anything. Like, I don't know the language, I don't know anything like that. And I just try to live there for a year and learn as much as I can about the people that are there and the culture and everything of that nature. Um, wouldn't really matter what country it is as long as I don't know that much about it. Hmm. Okay. That <laughs> <laughs> not, not, threw you off there. Not the uh, answer I was expecting. <laughs> Well, Tony, I was excited that you uh, agreed to come on the podcast. I really was was uh, excited to get the opinions and views from somebody new to the business, and you've had a really tremendous first year, and uh, not only am I glad to have you on this podcast, I'm glad to have you as a part of our company, so thanks, uh, uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Well, Realtor Nation, another great interview. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Tony's had a fantastic first year in the business. And I'm excited to see what he does in the future. For all of our content, please visit our website, dhrea.com learn. We're looking for more realtors to interview, so please email me if you're interested with your resume, ian at ianhoover.com. Until next time, this is Ian Hoover with the Deacon Hoover Radio Network signing off.